0: Welcome to the Manly Saints Project with me, Hugh Hunter. We live in a world that struggles to understand the virtue of manliness. Our culture doesn't provide young men, or any men for that matter, with a lot of positive male role models. But our Christian tradition can provide such role models. The stories of the saints provide example after example of manly virtue. Telling these stories, is what the Manly Saints Project is all about. If you enjoy my work, please consider signing up and supporting me on Substack, or click the link in the show notes to buy me a beer. And if you enjoy the podcast as audio or video, please consider giving me a rating, wherever you are. It helps a lot. Now, let's meet this week's Manly Saint. join me today to meet the frankish warrior saint who climbed a mountain to find god name glicente or glicento of brescia status saint life died 796 ad feast august 6th if you start in modern brescia in the north of Italy, and travel into the foothills of the Alps, as if you were headed to Switzerland, you'd find Valcomonica, a beautiful green valley nestled between mountains. And it was there that, some 1,200 years ago, farmers of the emerging Holy Roman Empire noticed a dove that was behaving oddly. It was gathering materials for a nest, even though it was too late in the year, For nest building, the farmers decided to follow the bird and found that it was laying twigs and leaves on the body of a man, an old hermit who had lived there for many years alone on the mountain. The man's name had been Glissente, or perhaps Glissento. He had come to this place as a warrior on a mission of conquest. But then, Something had made him leave that role and climb up into the clouds until he found a secluded cave in the snow and stillness of the mountaintop. From up there, he could look down on the valley and the world he had left behind, a world that his old comrades, led by their king, were forging into something completely new. Glicente had died a very long way. From home for glissente home was in Francia to the north. The Franks were one of the Germanic tribes who had pushed into the weakened Roman Empire when it was no longer able to control its borders. Other tribes, like the Goths and Lombards, had pushed into Italy. but the Franks had carved out a home in land in modern Germany and France soon afterward. The Western Roman Empire collapsed, and all that was left were the kingdoms ruled over by their tribal conquerors. The disunited tribes of Europe faced a threat from the growing might of Islam, which was expanding rapidly. Muslim armies overran the Christian kingdoms of North Africa and then crossed the sea to occupy Spain. It would be the Franks, led by their lord. Charles the Hammer, who would turn them back at the Battle of Tours in 732, and the Hammer's sons would be kings. Charles the Hammer's son Pepin would push out the last king of the previous dynasty and rule in his place. The Franks still saw themselves as bearded, long-haired warriors, so the former king was sent to a monastery where he was subjected to the ultimate humiliation a haircut, and a clean shave. Now, Pepin was in charge. In 768, Pepin's son was born, and he named him after his great ancestor, the Hammer, Charles. And around this time, Glicente was probably born too, Charles's rough contemporary. As a young noble of the Frankish people, Glicente would have spent his childhood training for war, For, as the Franks always said, if you were not a warrior by puberty, you weren't going to make it. By the time Glicente's voice began to break, he'd already have trained with a Frankish longsword, and shortsword, and axe, and spear, and shield. And to mark the end of that brutal regimen of training, Glicente's father, or some other relative, would have given him a gift, and the mark of a man, a longsword of his own. For the young lords of the Franks, men like Glicente, the sword was more than a weapon. Franks named their swords. Charles would call his joyeuse, joyful. Charles's companion, the Paladin Roland, named his sword Durandel, unbreakable. Franks loved their swords so much that, even though they had been Christians since their king had been converted, Centuries before, by the young priest St. Vadast, they were still sometimes buried with their swords in the way of their pagan ancestors. But the sword was also a mark of a Christian knight, especially as it could be held up by the sheath to form the symbol of a cross. Perhaps, if young Glacente received his sword in the twilight years of King Pepin's reign, Glacente may have wondered whether he'd have much chance to use it. He needn't have worried. Pepin was succeeded by his two sons, Carloman and Charles, and soon, after Carloman's death, Charles was left in sole command. His reign would be one of near-constant war. The new king was a powerful man, a natural leader with an easy laugh and a ready smile. He had vast energy, and set about fixing his kingdom, reforming the church as well as the state. Charles had big appetites and even bigger plans, always liking to stop whenever there were hot springs where he could go for a bath, sometimes ordering his entire entourage to hop in as well. Charles needed to step up, because Francia was surrounded by enemies. To the north were the pagan Saxons who lived along the coast of the North Sea. The Muslims in Spain were still threatening the Frankish lands from the west. In the east was the Khanate of the Avars, the heirs of Attila the Hun. To the south were the Lombards who had occupied most of Italy. Charles was surrounded, and a different king might have been afraid. Charles, though, planned to show his enemies in every direction that it was he whom they ought to fear. He marched south into Lombardy in modern Italy, extending his influence well past the Alps to Rome itself. Once Lombardy seemed relatively stable, Charles set out to deal with the Saxons. Conflict was probably inevitable here, for... As Charles's biographer pointed out, there was no river or mountain to form a natural border between the peoples. Charles's campaign against the Saxons was brutal, forcing them to convert to Christianity and killing many who would not bend the knee. In the end, Charles won, or at least it seemed as though he had. Then it was west into Muslim Spain. Where the king met one of his few defeats, being ambushed on the march back by the Basque people. As Charles's army marched, Glicente fought alongside the king. But at some point Glicente began to feel called elsewhere. Perhaps it was the brutal subjugation of the Saxons, a people much like his own Franks. By now there were problems back in the Lombard lands, in modern Italy, and Charles had needed to go back south to deal with them. It seems to have been on this trip that Glicente began to feel God's call very keenly. Once again, Charles prevailed against the Lombards. But while he was settling the issue, he got news of a rebellion in the north. The Saxons were following his movements, when he was tied up in the south, they thought the time was right to strike. We know their leader by a name or nickname in the form of a kenning, one of the riddle words of the north, Vidukind. The name means child of the forest, and what is a child of the forest but a wolf? Like the wolf his namesake, Vidukind and his Saxons struck at Charles's holdings again and again. Charles realized that he would have to go north and put down the Saxons for good. It seems to have been around this time that Glissente approached the king with a request. He asked to be released from his oaths and released from his place in Charles's army. And although Charles must have been sorry to lose a warrior who had fought at his side for so long a time, the king allowed Glissente to go, to leave with his honor. Glicente must have been feeling a vocation for some time. But why now? What made Glicente stop so far from his home, just when Charles was marching back toward Francia? We can only guess. Glicente may have been sick at heart, imagining another Saxon massacre. Or, maybe, the decision had something to do with the place. As Glacente wandered into the caves near Valcamonica he may have noticed the strange drawings left there by the early men cave paintings that were already 7000 years old perhaps this ancient valley seemed a good place to Glacente to seek the holiness he desired whatever his motivations Glacente laid down the sword he had carried for so long, turned his back on the army, and began to climb the mountain to seek God alone as a hermit. King Charles would indeed storm back into the north. But the hermit Glicente was not the only one to have changed. This time, Charles's strategy would mix kindness with strength. He didn't just want to win against the Saxons. He wanted to win over the Saxons. Eventually, even the wily Vidukind would be brought to heel. There is a medieval tale about how it happened. In the story, Vidukind uses his stealth and woodcraft to creep close to the Frankish camp, perhaps hoping to assassinate Charles himself. But when he comes upon the Franks, he finds them at mass. Vidukind watches from the trees as the priest celebrates, but when the priest holds up the consecrated bread of the Eucharist, something strange happens. Vidukind doesn't see it as bread, but as a boy child. The child gives of himself to all but remains unharmed in the priest's hands, watching from the forest. Vidukind finds himself changed drawn toward this miracle needing to understand he walks into king charles's camp and the war is over however the war came to a close charles's attitude to vidukind was not what it would have been when charles was a younger man instead of punishing the saxon war chief charles befriended him vidukind was baptized, and he and his heirs would remain powerful lords in the kingdom of Franks and Saxons and Lombards that King Charles was building. For Glicente, in his cave on the mountain above the clouds, politics had ceased to matter. He lived in prayer and solitude. A local tradition has it that he survived mostly on the milk of alpine sheep, Others said that his food was brought by a bear. And in that story was a symbol of the times, for the bear was a kingly animal for the Germanic tribes of the north. Now this kingly animal served the will of the king of all. And this was what made King Charles so different from the other conquerors, for he was building a Christian world this world would have a special place for priests and monks and the holy hermits like licente who followed god's call into the wilderness charles the great was laying the foundation of what we remember as christendom in the year 800 charles would be crowned by the pope not as a king but as an emperor charles was rebuilding the dream of rome Reconquering the lost imperial lands under the sign of the cross. Charles would found a new Roman Empire, an empire that would be Roman but also Christian, the Holy Roman Empire. Charles would look on the emperor at Constantinople as his colleague. Charles negotiated with the caliph Harun al Rashid in Baghdad as an equal leaving the caliph so impressed that he sent Charles a strange, enormous creature called an elephant as a pet. By the end of Charles's life, the Holy Roman Empire would be permanently established, and history remembers him as Charles the Great, or in condensed French, Charlemagne. As these foundations were being laid, Glicente died alone on the mountain unnoticed by anyone but God. It was only after his death that locals found the body. They began to ask St. Glacente to pray for them, and as they found help and healing, they realized what the old man on the mountain had become. And over time, they built a little stone church on the old Frankish soldier's cave. Today, from the church you can look down into the valley and see a world which still bears faint traces of king charles's holy roman empire but you can also turn and follow saint lucente through the door of the little stone church to a kingdom that has no end